You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bledsoe, and this is volume 11 of Unscottable, which is our ongoing series on the films of director Tony Scott. Uh, and this time we are talking about Spy Game from 2001. Uh, tell me talk about it. I'm happy to be joined once again by the host of the Cult Movies podcast. Uh, it's Anthony King. Anthony, how are you doing? Hi, Matt. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. I'm super excited to talk about this movie that... Uh... Uh, I am happy to say still obsessed with. <laughs> That's good. I, uh, I won't spoil it right off the bat, but I did see your letterbox rating for spy game earlier. And I was like, Oh, Anthony really loves spy game. Really <laughs> so, loves it. <laughs> so I'm excited. I know we, we did, um, Oh, Beverly Hills cop two a long, yep. a long time ago now. And, uh, I believe the time I asked you your favorite Tony Scott movie and you said spy game. Uh, so I guess that still holds true. So <laughs> it holds true. Yeah. Spy game followed closely by Beverly Hills cop two, but yeah, I, I spy game. I don't know if it's a, I mean, it must be a nostalgia thing. Uh, Cause I was looking at some other people's letterbox scores. I'm like, you people are fucking assholes. Pardon my language. <laughs> I mean, some, are you talking like Matt three and a half stars? Come on. Oh, I think you're to me right away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of, I'm one of the higher ratings. On the, you are. I, no, that that's true. Like I saw some three, <laughs> stars some two and a half and i was like no no I, what movie are you people watching <laughs> spy game went up for me this time from a three to a three and a half star movie and i really I, yeah i think it's gonna move up as i go on we'll get into it but yeah. um i think a lot of people on the first view we're gonna jump right here but i think like on the first view in a spy game you're just trying to really keep up with the plot and sure? I, okay. I don't know if people are enjoying it as much like i will tell you this is, I think it's all my second time watching Spy Game. It's one of my, my lesser watched Tony Scott movies. Um, and I felt like once I kind of got my hands around all the, most of the, the, the plot and the, you know, things that were going on, I enjoyed it a lot more this time. Cause I felt like I kind of had a grasp on everything and I wasn't trying to like keep up like the first time, the first time sure, I felt like sure. I was lost a little bit. Uh, this time I really got to enjoy more of like what Robert Redford's doing. Uh, yeah. some more of the subtle stuff, like, um, little moments in the movie uh so that might be part of it maybe people watch it one time and they're like eh, that was a lot to keep up with a lot of spy jargon i don't you know and then they just <laughs> you know and this is this is criticized often as uh one of tony scott's dad movies maybe people just think of it as like a dad movie and they uh <laughs> and they you know they kind of write it off i i don't know 
Did you say bad or dad? Oh, sorry, dad, as in like your father, like dad. dad. Okay, <laughs> yes, this is like you know I have that letterbox list Sunday afternoon dad movies. <laughs> this is totally a Sunday afternoon dad movie. Um, but it, you know I don't know maybe it's because I'm almost forty that and I'm a dad. I'm like yeah, this is man pure pure Sunday afternoon dad movie, and I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, this is going to sound like a knock and I really want me to, but it, it definitely, I think at, for me, maybe people my age and a little younger, having Robert Redford in your movie uh, when I was younger felt like this is a dad movie because he just feels like <laughs> he was somebody who's everyone's dad's like favorite actor or something, your parents' favorite actor. And uh, I don't know, he has this his energy. And I feel this is like a, again, sounds negative. I don't mean to be, but one I would see on like TNT on a Sunday afternoon. Like, and I was like, this no, is a dad that, movie. That Robert is Rick. a total Sunday afternoon dad movie. No, you are not <laughs> wrong in saying that. Uh, but Matt, you and I aren't that far off in age. So uh, settle in. You know, I hope you're taking your blood pressure medication and you're, you're putting your Ben Gay on every night before bed at, uh, you know, your bedtime at nine o'clock like me. Um <laughs> So, you know, this movie is tailor-made for for old men like you and I. It's <laughs> like, what if I just told you I was like, I'm in my late 70s. This is all been a this has all been a ruse that I'm like my mid-30s. It's a joke. Um, no, I I it's yeah, we're not, I think we're only like three years apart. Four, four years. years. Yeah, four okay, years. Four. Yep. So uh, you know, tr- oh, trust me, I think I'm getting more every uh, the past couple of years, especially, I have found that I am enjoying things that I would have considered dad movies like five, 10 years ago, I'm enjoying yeah. them much more now. And I'm still oh, not a dad, yeah. but it's like, um, I just bought Steven Spielberg's the post and British spies. And I'm really excited Hell about yes. watching them. <laughs> I'm like, these yeah. are dad movies and I'm in. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm in now. I, uh, it, spy <laughs> game. Yeah. I mean, spy game is that kind of thing, but, uh, but I like it. I, I like it more. And I, I was thinking like, next time I watch this again, I think I will like it even more than the last time. And it's like, you just kind of have to cut through, the spy talk at first and the, you know, follow, you kind of follow along. And once you grasp what's going on, I think it's, you can enjoy it a little more, honestly. You know, uh, I don't know. Like when, so I was, uh, graduated from high school. Like this is a year after I graduated from high school and I go and see it in the theater and it is between this and garden state i'm like these oh. are my two favorite movies of all time <laughs> what a what a different pair of favorite movies it's very That's different true. Movie. no it's true yeah <laughs> um of course when harry met sally is my actual favorite movie of all time okay but uh garden state and spy game are two movies so garden state comes out is that 2001 as well no that's actually that's weird it's like 2004 Oh, get out of town. I remember Weird. distinctly because, I mean, I have a whole story of Garden State. I went to go see it. I went to a special like theater that was far away from my house and that it was an R-rated movie and I just turned like 17. I was like, oh, I'm going to go see this cool indie movie I'd seen the trailer for and I'm going to you know, go out of my way to see it. And I felt very like, sophisticated in a way right, i was yeah. like oh i'm seeing cinema you know i was oh we could we i think we told us a long time ago we need to do an episode on garden state because i have a lot of feelings yeah. to work out about garden state. No, no no i i agree i think he's honest to god and like uh you know what rob d cristino he wrote a piece on garden state on f this movie i don't know two three years ago and he also had these like conflicting feelings because i watched it you know i watch it probably once a year and I, I, 
I admit it is uh, my five stars, my complete love, undying love for Garden State is uh, nostalgia based. I understand that it is uh, not, you know, it's maybe Zach Brass character is super toxic in this movie. I don't know. <laughs> when we do our Garden State podcast, we'll talk about it, but we should think about getting Rob on there because he has the same feelings. I remember he and I talked about it. I was like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Cause, Cause he <laughs> loves it too, but he's like, I don't know if I should love it, but I do. Anyway. <laughs> when so, I read really quick, I read his piece and I was like, did he, I felt it was taken out of my brain. Like I read his piece yeah, and I related exactly. to it so hard. Um, we'll come back to that later. Sorry, buddy. Garden State side podcast. Uh, but so back to spy game. <laughs> so spy game. Okay. So it comes out the year at, I, after I graduate high school and I love it. And uh, I remember sitting in the theater thinking like, these are, these two guys are like the epitome of cool. Brad Pitt, like in this movie is like, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the theater with my girlfriend. Uh, I'm 19 years old and I'm like, oh gosh, I, uh, I would do anything sexually for Brad Pitt if he ever asked me. All right, what, uh -huh. this, what am I? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but between him and Redford, even at 19, I was like, these guys are the coolest fucking guys ever and and they're playing like very different i mean they're, they're playing who they're supposed to be playing redford is the calm collected older uh cia vet and brad pitt is like the you know the the wild young rogue you know play by my own rules type of cia mm -hmm. newbie and they play it very well but they they're both just the freaking coolest in this and so anyways uh, Spy Game, along with When Harry Met Sally, and another Snap Case. I can't remember. I'm looking over my shoulder, and I can't remember which one. Those were my first three DVDs I ever owned. Oh, wow. So, um, uh, and of course, you know, in one move or another, my Spy Game DVD disappeared, and I don't have it anymore, sadly. But, uh, so I hadn't watched it for years and then i sat down to watch it last night and i was like and i was so tired and i was like okay i'm just gonna watch half of it last night and then i'm gonna watch the other half today which is how filmmakers intend for people to watch their movies like split <laughs> up between days right of course yeah <laughs> um but that didn't happen because spy game is so fucking thrilling that i sat there up until you know midnight and i was like i have to i can't not sit here and watch this movie it's still perfect to me so uh, I will die on the spy game hill for now. Give me one second. Now we have done this in the past. Um, Daniel Epler, two and a half stars, no heart. <laughs> Brad Henderson, two and a half stars, no heart. Jonathan Watkins, two and a half stars with a heart. Um, everybody else, three stars or above. Uh, we'll talk. It should be a five star movie. Uh, I will always forever go to bat for spy game. It's a perfect movie. I, I love that we do the public letterbox rating call. <laughs> like, um, hopefully, people give a chance after this. You're the right man to be here for Spy Game. This is good because um, it's a. It's again, I like it more than the first time I saw it. I think I'll like it more every time. But it's it's not near the top for me of Tony Scott movies. Um, it's it's a weird. <sighs> it's, hear me out. Uh, it's a weird time for him too because this is right before things get very crazy. Which it's like with with his the style choices he's making 
yeah this, this is this is this is almost like i feel like enemy of the state is sort of like the the big turning point in his his style but spy game is when he's like no this is who i am for now on yeah and it's like he's it's enemy of state and spy game are interesting because like there, there's flashes there of what's to come but it's like this is still there's still parts of this that are much more um i would say kind of formal than even the stuff like especially the little trilogy of man on fire and domino and deja vu get way crazier with style stuff and he is doing some crazy stuff in um in spy game like uh i really want to talk about this because it came up multiple times in, in things i was reading um that when robert redford and brad pitt are having that conversation on the rooftop in berlin and and tony scott wants to shoot it with a helicopter <laughs> circling around them. <laughs> and they're just having a conversation on the roof i mean it's an, it's a pivotal conversation in the movie um even Robert Redford was baffled by what Tony Scott was doing. He was yeah. like, why are you using a helicopter to shoot this conversation? Um, he said when he saw it, he was very impressed by how uh, dynamic he made the scene. And he's, he's right. And it's funny because the studio did not want to give him more money for a helicopter to shoot that scene. So Tony Scott paid for the helicopter with his own money. He rented it with his own money. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I watched uh, the making of like featurettes that are on the DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, they're on YouTube. And like the guys that he got, like his demo guys, the guys who blew up the building in, in, you know, supposed to be Beirut, but it was Israel. I think they were shooting in Morocco. Um, I think they had to leave Israel. There's a whole story with that. Israel right. was getting too dangerous um, and they had to go to, but yeah, like yeah. The, the, the helicopter guy who, who flew like that old Chinese helicopter in, it was supposed to be Vietnam, but they were shooting in Morocco. Mm-hmm. um this, this like lone banana grove they found They're like this is our vietnam <laughs> uh, they found one little like, patch of land his, yeah <laughs> his, his yeah his helicopter pilot and then like the the army guy who was sort of like the um, he was the armorer and like the you know sort of military consultant um like these guys were so dedicated to tony and like listening to them talk mr scott mr scott it's like these guys respected the hell out of Tony because like Tony went in and, you know, he's a director for hire. This isn't like something he came up with. Right. Um, but like who else, honest to God, who else could have directed this movie? I, I, good question. I mean, there's, I know those guys that could have done it, but it, I think it would have been a much more boring movie, honestly. Yeah, tame. Yeah. Tame is the word that's coming to mind. <laughs> yeah. And I don't yeah. want a tame movie when it comes to like, a spy thriller espionage like with war shit like i don't want something tame yeah i mean me neither i i was one speaking of letterbox reviews there was one i came across i can't remember his friends this person it was a top review where they uh were criticizing tony scott's style and they were like tony scott's uh use of over editing strikes again and listen i hear the criticism but i think i think he the the how the pace at which he edits it and how he shoots stuff in this really gives it this extra level of excitement that wouldn't be there with a lot of other people. Like, cause there's so many, even Tony Scott said it was a challenge. There's so many scenes in spy game where it's Robert Redford, uh, Redford sitting in that room uh, at the CIA at Langley, uh, you know, talking to these guys around a table. So it's like, he's like, how do I make this snappier? How do I make it more exciting? Um, so, and I think it totally serves this movie for the better on all his like kind of stylistic toy choices and, um the snappiness and you know you could call it over editing i just say it's just snappy but <laughs> no, yeah. listen we're we're on a we're on a clock we're on the clock here we have 24 hours right right till till the chinese execute uh t- tom bishop 
and the editing, like you don't feel the nervousness that these guys feel unless it's edited and cut the way Tony and his guys did it. Like it has to be cut that way because we're counting down, you know, every, you know, every other scene, we get the timestamp on screen. We get a freeze frame and the timestamp. And it's like, holy shit, this guy's going to fucking die. <laughs> um, and like, yes, like it's so interesting where, you know, the mix of flashbacks um, with like some big time action sequences, but then like we're in the, like, like you said, we're in this boardroom and with a bunch of bureaucrats and they're like, they're looking at paper and it's like, <laughs> how, how is that exciting? Right. And taking phone calls. It's like, right, you know, right. but the yeah. way, but the way they wrote uh, Redford's character, like he understands the urgency of this, these guys, it's so weird watching like Harker and then Troy, I don't know Troy's last name, like the Redford's boss in the movie. Uh, but like, they don't have any urgency and Redford is trying to mirror is trying to like hide his nervousness. He's trying to play it cool, but he knows we have 24 hours. We have 13 hours. We have seven hours till this guy dies unless we can get him out. And I, again, that's why I think Tony is the only guy that could have directed this the way the story is supposed to be told. Yeah. I mean, there's just like a real urgency to, that he puts in the movie that I, I feel like, the, the conference room scenes specifically could really kind of be much more uh, like dry and kind of boring if somebody else was directing them. You know what I mean? Oh, and definitely. even um, just the way I mean, the way he shoots the action, I'm thinking of the Vietnam kind of set piece that like uh, and people criticizing, oh, he desaturated. And I know I think the whole there was a thing in the 2000s, I feel like where they were people really getting into like desaturating the color and yep. all that. Um, but I mean, he, I don't think at that time it was overused. He was doing it for a purpose. He was trying to, you know, show a different time, a different place. Right, like, right, exactly. you know, this is 15 years ago in Vietnam. And um, yeah, I just think there's a, there's a, a far more, uh, there's a far less compelling version of spy game. And it's like the way it is now, I think it's super compelling. It's a ticking clock movie that um, even if you don't quite follow exactly what's going on and you don't really know where our reference up to, a lot of the time right. you're still very compelled at what's going on just because the way that that tony shoots it and, and edits it and all that stuff yeah it's uh honest to god it, it is one of those edge of your seat movies and uh i i you know having watched this now after probably not seeing it for 15 years uh or no 10 years we'll say 10 years um i was just like I recall sitting in the theater and I saw this three times in the movie theater. Oh, wow. <laughs> I recall sitting in the movie theater, like just, you know, biting my nails. Like I could not stop shifting in my seat. Like what the hell's going to happen? And I felt like that again, because I hadn't seen it for so long. I, I, I knew the beats. I knew how it was going to end because I, this is honest to God, probably the 60th time I've seen this movie. Uh, but I still am not tired of it it's still great. It's still exciting. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I, it's hard to imagine no Tony. It's hard to imagine no Brad Pitt and no Robert Redford. Like who else? I did see something. I don't know if it was on IMDb or someone said 
uh, this is considered maybe a, um, a companion piece to Three Days of the Condor, which I uh, admittedly have not seen. I haven't either. That's, I had that written down as a note. And uh, it's, it's funny because this came up with uh, Enemy of the State, where people said that was a continuation of the conversation with uh, Gene Hackman's oh, character. Um, so that was funny that kind of the same thing people were saying about Robert Redford of Miss, and it's a uh, uh, could be a continuation or a companion piece to Three Days of the Condor, but I haven't seen Three Days of the Condor. So, um, yeah, I need to go back and watch that because I'm curious about, you know, what comparisons are, are there. So, Sure. The other thing is that it was so nice seeing one of these big budget and, you know, 100 million plus budget international, uh, you know, on location espionage thrillers. And we don't get those very often. A lot of times, like if, if we're going to, you know, if studios are going to do a big budget movie and we're going to, you know, have multi-locations we're just going to green screen it all uh which whatever fine think what you will um (laughs) but like i i have a little list here uh but i feel like every weekend we got one of these big budget international things um but like and, and honestly since tony died they've really gone the way of the samurai as some say but like you have syriana uh the born movies bond movies of course uh underground six extraction and triple frontier you know three Mm -hmm. uh, netflix movies there but you know uh very american like spy game is such an american movie uh you know it's and it's so weird to think tony i always forget he's british Right. Like when I was watching an interview with him, I'm like, God damn it. He's like the most American USA, USA filmmaker, but he's still British and like very soft spoken. I love listening to Tony speak. It's like he has such a soft voice. Uh, yeah, but, it's very, know, it's very comforting. I feel like so comforting. And, but he's still got his giant fucking stogie and his <laughs> pink hat and his vest and everything. His vest. Yep. Uh, like, he, God, he's just the best. Um, <laughs> But like we don't get those. I, I don't feel like, you know, I, I think Hong Kong, uh, China, Japan put out like bigger movies like that. But we, you know, rarely get any of these giant espionage, uh, you know, slash action, very American movies anymore. That's a good point. Uh, a few things there you said I want to touch on. It. It's funny you bring up Tony Scott, like not being American, but he feels like a very American filmmaker. I feel like he's a guy that uh, came here and just really fell in love with like kind of this, the American, especially the, the California lifestyle too. I feel like he, oh, yeah. he, he seemed obsessed with um, just fast cars and, you know, uh, cool shit. And like he, he did kind of fall in this whole military thing. I think that's probably part of, the Bruckheimer thing. It is not a Bruckheimer produced movie, but um, Enemy of State was, Top Gun was, uh, Crimson Tide. Uh, we kind of keeps going back to it, but I, I never feel like it's a raw, raw. There's always like a level of, besides Top Gun, Top Gun is very raw, raw. But, but Crimson Tide is like fairly critical. I mean, they were so critical to the point they didn't let them use the, you know, like use the sub and they lost access to the Navy. Right. Um, Enemy of the State's pretty critical of, uh, like just our intelligence agencies. It's a weird double here with enemy of state and spy game. They feel like they're kind of, uh, they're kind of paired up like this little phase of it's going to be the, uh, the paranoia. Someone, someone on the airbox called it like 
thus ends the uh, uh, Tony Scott, your weird paranoid uncle phase of his career (laughs) for these like two movies back to back. Um, And this, and someone pointed out that this is definitely does not show the CIA as like a happy go lucky organization. Like they used to, they do some really shady fucked up shit, um, which I find interesting. And the, the really interesting that this comes out three, no, two months after 9-11 in right. 2001. Um, and there was a lot of talk. And I was thinking, I read this in the book and I was already thinking about it before I read the book, but I'm like, I'm like, there's no way this came out post 9-11 just yep. because, but it did, it came out two months after. And there was talk in the book about, if people are too young, they don't remember that like everything was weird after 9-11, like some songs weren't played on the radio. Um, they were pulling movies that weren't even, that related to 9-11, but they had, if the tone was weird, I remember there was talk of like training day, which is, it's about cops. It's about like some corrupt cops, but it's not related to terrorism. But I remember people thinking, oh, can people accept the idea of like a bad cop right now for 9-11? <laughs> like those kind of conversations. And there was talk of like, should we push spy game back just because it's dealing with um, stuff overseas and, and cr- kind of being critical of the CIA. And Tony was like, let's not, let's not push it back. Let's just leave the release date. Um, and it, the movie did like, okay, like barely recouped its budget, but it cost a lot of money to make. And they think that maybe part of it was coming out like that close to 9-11. People kind of didn't want this story um, or they weren't ready for it at this time. You know, it's kind of, we want lighter entertainment. Um, I don't know. It's because it's not, it's definitely not like a raw, raw America. I mean, Robert Redford is constantly battling against CIA bullshit to get things done. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it that part was fascinating to me just of when it came out and what it was saying. Yeah, it it is um, very critical of, of the CIA and our government. Um, You know, it, it, the story is really cool because uh, during the flashbacks, we have Redford as the calm collected father figure um, who is just a cold hearted bastard uh, because that's what you need to be for this type of job, to be a spy, like you cannot have a heart. Somebody dies, somebody dies. You have to cut them loose and you walk away. Um, and here comes Brad Pitt, uh, Tom Bishop as like this, he wears his heart on his sleeve, obviously. Like he gets wrapped up with this woman and that's what the whole movie's kind of about, him trying to break this woman, you know, rescue the woman he loves, which is great. I, I, that's a great love story part of this. Um, but I love how, as the movie goes on, you know, we, we come back to the present day and present day being 1991. Uh, this is set in 1991 with the flashbacks going back to the seventies and the eighties. Um, uh, present day mirror is starting to flip and like his, he's, he's letting his heart, uh, shine through a little bit. And he's like, you know, it is okay to care about people. Um, and so you have him juxtaposed with these assholes, these bureaucrats sitting around the table, like trying to figure out how can we spin this uh, to make us look good and just get rid of this Tom Bishop character because he's going to make a lot of trouble for us. And we'll, we'll talk about the ending and all the questions I have here in a minute. But uh, <clears throat> I love how Muir flips throughout the movie and ends up, you know, he's like, it is okay to be a human being and not be a robot. And, you know, he retires and gets out of the, 
CIA for good and and speeds off in his little, you know, his little sports car uh, to God knows where. But I, I do love, uh, and of course, it. this is such a movie. Like, this is not real, for God's sakes. As much as, like, they put in, you know, Tony cuts in real news footage and stuff. Uh, and, you know, some things, some events in the movie are inspired by events that happened in real life. But, like, I can't imagine CIA guys have hearts i imagine them to all be robots who don't give a shit about regular human beings <laughs> well I, yeah i kind of the same thing but i was like well if you're about to retire and you're about to leave it all behind maybe you would soften up a little bit by the end plus doesn't doesn't old age soften everybody up a little bit you know it's like <laughs> i don't know they they um they, they do a good job i think establishing brad pitt and robert Roberts' connection and it's funny because there's a scene that they added in last minute that i think is pretty important it's a little touch about where brad pitt gives uh robert redford that flask yeah and uh they tony added that like kind of later on because he it, well he wanted more of a connection between two of their characters and he kind of realized like we weren't seeing a lot of brad pitt at that point <laughs> he's like oh shit i gotta put more uh brad pitt back in the movie so we don't kind of lose focus of the character but it's a good little character moment i mean they spend so much time together and you know it's like definitely a father-son type relationship and it's like how could you not care for this guy a little bit it's like as much as the cia would want robots i'm sure <laughs> you know it's like uh, people are still human at the end of the day so um right. you know it's I, I appreciate those little touches and i think it really helps that robert redford and brad pitt have i think genuine there feels like a genuine friendship there and i think i read right. that they i mean they kind of are friends they were friends off the set like you know they were you know friends behind the scenes so i think that really comes through in the movie and helps that connection work because otherwise you would be like why is robert Ruffer going to all this trouble and risking all this to get brad pitt out of this chinese prison you know what i mean right so, yeah i i do love their their kind of uh friendship even though they fight it they kind of fight like a father and a son where it's like yeah robert it's like don't do this don't do that and he's like don't tell me what to do you know it's kind of that kind of you're thing. not my real dad yeah and, and that, <laughs> you know their, their relationship going back to what is it river runs through it i think yeah, um, yeah, that Redford directed, I believe. Yeah, Redford yeah. directed, and you know, of course, uh, that's when the world was like, "Oh my God, who is this sex symbol? I want to see his penis." <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt, that is. Uh, <laughs> we've already seen. Never mind. Anyways, uh, so like that, they developed that relationship <laughs> there and brought that on, and like it is so believable, and like uh, you know, listening to uh, Daniel's um, Steve McQueen episodes. And talk about like the the chemistry on screen between the man and the woman, like you know how uh, Ally McGraw and Steve McQueen didn't have any chemistry on screen because they were actually fucking, you know, in real life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Whereas like Natalie Wood and Steve McQueen did have chemistry on screen because they weren't having an affair. Uh, they the chemistry on screen between and i think that the same can go for friendships between the you know same sexes or or non-sexes but uh i think redford and pitt are sort of the um you know the antithesis of that that they do have this friendship this relationship off screen and they were able to bring that on screen and translate that um and it works there and it is a real pleasure to watch uh and and you know happy ending thank god there's a happy ending like everybody uh 
you know, it's nice to see everybody still loves each other at the end because they do have that falling out, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie. And, and, you Mm -hmm. know, Redford's like, you know, I haven't seen him, you know, since Beirut. And, you know, you don't like knowing that these two guys are kind of, you know, their relationship is falling apart, but it is, you know, uh, that, uh, I, the helicopters when, when Catherine McCormick and Brad Pitt are being taken away from the Suchow prison and they're, they're in separate helicopters and, and they look across, you know, the air at each other and they smile, uh, Tony, also edits in stuff with Robert Redford. And so, you know, it's also Brad Pitt and Bob Redford, you know, sharing that smile saying, yes, we still do love each other. We still do have this relationship. And it's very, very touching. And I'm not ashamed to say I tear it up. Understandable. No, I get that. <laughs> um, it, it is, a, it does hit that, that moment works uh, when they're in the helicopter. It's a music. The score is really good there um the way he shoots it i do really like that ending um i know i get it. it it works i mean it really the ending pays off and it's funny because the movie you could almost think um might not have a uh you know a very happy ending sure um but no he, he delivers on it i was like okay good it's like we've been through a lot so i uh i almost thought like maybe captain mccormick won't make it maybe just brad pitt will make it you know it's like one of those situations where maybe she died and he he survived but um yeah, I I will say one thing. I'm curious to take on this. Um, I feel like my opinion uh, <laughs> that the love story between Brad Pitt and Catherine McCormick doesn't fully work for me. I, I don't. I mean, like I, you love the movies. So I'm assuming it works for you. But I I read some stuff that Tony wanted more love story stuff, and the producers fought with him and won that there'd be less of the love story between the two of them. And I think it would have benefited from like. A little bit more it happened a lot of it happens off screen i think um so i don't know it just didn't fully i didn't feel it necessarily i didn't think it tanked the movie where i i don't completely not believe it but i just i, I think i'm with the side of like oh i wish tony put more of the stuff in here and i know he did too but he didn't get to but um yeah yeah i i think it would have hit more uh hit more hit harder if we got more of it and this is already you know two hours and six minutes Right. <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh, obviously they had like this very passionate love affair that went super fast, right? Because it, right. they didn't know each other very long. And it's hard for us with everything else going on in the movie to buy into that, that he is so in love with this woman that he's only known for less than a year. Is it less than a year? I, I think so. Yeah. Less than a year. Yeah. He is willing to go on this rogue mission and risk two other, three other, four other guys' lives and break (laughs) into a prison to break her out just because he loves her. And that's all well and good. Uh, And, you know, speaking of this is a movie, folks, that I can't imagine that would actually happen because I think CIA guys are are robots. Uh, (laughs) But it, uh, it is hard to buy in that this guy would do go to such great lengths for this woman he's known for such a short period of time uh, because we don't get enough of their love affair. And me personally, I, I, I'm with you. I, I agree with you. Um, and 
I agree that I with Tony and you that I I would want more of their love affair. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely one of the things that um that I just wish was kind of more developed in the movie and one of the things where I'm like ah, I wish that was a little stronger, but um it almost feels like it's more of a love story between Brad Pitt and Robert Redford. Honestly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, I mean that's that's the true love story, honest to god. It's like a point break scenario where it's like it's like the real love story between uh, Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. It's like, um, you know, try to do a love story between uh, Keanu Reeves and, um, oh God, Lori Petty. Uh, I'm like, no, no, the real love story is, uh, is Swayze and Keanu over there. But um, this is kind of more a father-son thing. But um, but yeah, it's funny that that's just the focus. And there was something, there was something else I read that I'm, I'm so glad they didn't do this, where they were torn around the idea of even having making over love triangle Robert Redford and Catherine McCormick have a past or something goes on between them that, that complicates the whole thing. I'm like, Oh, we don't need that. That's way too much. No. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I will. That would have really tanked <laughs> the movie for me. Like, I mean, they do mix in a little bit that, that he was aware of her. He knew who she was leading up to this. Um, but you know, yeah, God, I can't imagine like what if they were like former lovers? No, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, Pat, I'll pass on that. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm looking at my notes here. I feel like I had all these like for this one, I had uh, more like just random, almost outside well, the movie notes. But uh, what else do you have? <laughs> well, uh, okay, well, let's talk about the boardroom for a second. Harker, yes, <laughs> uh, is just one of the biggest fucking weasels. I was, yes, like, I, wrote, I wrote weasel, like, <laughs> such you know, a weasel. He, uh has that sort of bradley whitford you know i uh, bradley whitford uh, <laughs> i think america's first introduction to him really was in adventures in babysitting as chris's boyfriend who you know he shows up he's like my sister's really sick and we can't go on our fancy date and so she, chris has to end up babysitting the kids right and they end up catching him cheating on her and but like bradley whitford just his face is sort of Bless his heart. I, I, he's a good human being. He's super funny, but he looks like a fucking weasel. In yeah, real I think life, they even. Real, okay. My introduction was Billy Madison, where I think they make the joke. Someone's like, yeah. he looks like yeah. a weasel. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. So, yeah. uh, Harker, played by Stephen Delane, like his face. You know, he sort of has that sort of pointed face, <laughs> and I mean, the guy plays it brilliantly. You know, I, I always say when you go away from a movie like absolutely hating a character that means the performance was perfect it was such a great performance and, and my my example is always for me personally Joaquin Phoenix and the Gladiator like I remember watching the Gladiator oh God, yeah <laughs> uh, speaking of a Scott brother um and leaving that movie thinking like what a piece of shit I hated this guy and uh, I, I walk away from Spy Game feeling the same way about Harker. He's just such a weasel and a piece <laughs> of shit. He just wants to bring, like, he doesn't care about anyone's lives. He's setting out to bring down Muir on his last day. Like, what a piece of shit that is. Right. Like, he's just so determined to get Robert Redford for something. And he just, uh, uh, I just love that he can't get it over. He can't get over on him. <laughs> it's like he wants it so bad. And he's following him around. And just, you know, asking what he's up to and just such a weasel. You're like, you kind of just be like, fuck off, guy. <laughs> you know, it's like, just, just leave him alone. Get out of here. Uh, but he's, he can't, he can't give it up. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just my, there's so much little stuff that Redford is doing at 
at Langley that I love. It's kind of hard to like describe to people, but he's doing all these little subtle, like behind the scenes things while he's there in the building and he, he won't leave the building because he can't get back in. It's his last day. Um, you know, like kind of taking a picture here or taking like a file here or, you know, this and that. And uh, all these little, that's, I think I was watching this again this time thinking, Oh, I love all this little, like this little spy shit. I don't know what to call it. There's not, it's more academic term that, but uh, just this little, the little stuff he's doing, it's like, getting away with all this little stuff. And uh, that's what I find so interesting. It's almost, it's, it's not really like a heist movie, but it has the feel of Same feeling. Yeah. No, yeah, it, getting away with something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and how I, I love his secretary, Gladys. Oh how my God. Yes. She is to him. <laughs> and, but also I, I had a note down, like how annoying would it be to be his secretary? Like this obviously very meticulous man is retiring and Gladys is thinking, Okay, uh, I'm I'm moving on. Um, good riddance. As, as much as she cared for him, right? <laughs> but like, I love it when it's the next morning. He's supposed to be gone at seven a.m., and she walks out of the elevator for the next day at work, and he's like, "Uh, Al, uh Gladys, if my wife calls, just you know, whatever, tell her blah blah blah." And the look <laughs> she gives, like, this motherfucker's still here. Uh, but, but her devotion to him, you know, with the burn bag, she gets the files he needs. Uh, she, and and she's a pro at being a, you know, an assistant or, you know, administrative assistant in the CIA. She doesn't ask questions. She just does what she's told. Um, and you know, it's, it's so nice, like to know in this building where it seems like everybody is after his neck. They want Mir dead. They want him gone. He still has Gladys there walking by his side, no matter what. Yeah, it's like the only person that um, truly feels loyal to him in the whole place. I was watching this thinking, man, Gladys is one of the all-time great movie secretaries. (laughs) Oh, definitely. She's such, like, he's like his partner in crime. I love it. And um, yeah, but I do love how he's also, a couple times I feel like he's trying to keep her out of trouble. Yep. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Where he's oh, yeah. never trying to really involve her. He's like, you know, kind of claim, um, de- you can deny what's going on here. Type right. Thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. She can't get in trouble. She doesn't really know what's going on. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm glad you brought her up because I, I love her. Um, oh, God. I, want, I, look up, I meant to look up her name. I forgot what it was. Um, the actress. Uh, she's really good. I was like, we do a whole Gladys subplot. Uh, Marion uh, Jean Baptiste. She's, yeah. yeah great as to Gladys um she's she's like you know a rare woman who is a that guy actor you know there's a million guys who were that guy actor uh but she's got that recognizable face where like oh yeah I've seen her in tons of stuff oh yeah I'm looking at IMDb now and I'm like oh she has been a ton of stuff but I don't think I really you know recognize her she's one of so yeah so here's what I find super interesting you have two uh, very well-known classic British actors who play bit parts in this giant international espionage movie. First, you have Charlotte Rampling, the beautiful, the great Charlotte Rampling from, you know, uh, what's the Nazi movie? Uh, uh, Night Porter? Night Porter. A, yeah. Uh, you know, she's, she's the best. She she's in this movie for like 30 seconds. She says all but, you know, a dozen words. And <laughs> yeah. 
And it's like, oh, it's it's so cool that Charlotte Rampling was like, yeah, I want to do this tiny part in this cool movie with Bob Redford. Why not? <laughs> uh, but then you have also a uh, classic British actor, David, uh, who David Hemmings from Blow Up. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Antonioni's Blow Up. Um, he plays the guy that calls Redford at the beginning. Uh, is, right. is, okay. is that Digger or is that not Digger? I believe no, Dig, Dig, Digger's the newspaper guy. Harry Duncan. Harry Duncan. Duncan is, yeah, yeah. Duncan. Um, but so, yeah, it, it's really nice to see these two very like well-known British actors who, you know, obviously just love to work. They love to act and they're in, you know, this, this cool spy action movie for, you know, mere seconds. And I, I love seeing it. <laughs> uh, David Hemmings also in Gladiator with uh, Ridley Scott the year before. Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, when Charlotte Rampling walked in, I think I'd forgotten from the first time because she's not in the movie very much. And this time I walked in, and I was like, wait, who is that? I was like, wait, is that Charlotte Rampling? <laughs> and I go, and she's the very last person listed on the IMDb. On the IMDb, yeah. <laughs> It's like very, I mean, barely in the movie. Uh, I wonder if she got the, it's funny because there's a, there was some note somewhere, I think it was in the book I was reading that, that Tony Scott uh, had a crush on her since he was like a kid. So of course. How could you not? My right. God. I mean, <laughs> I don't blame him. Still a beautiful woman at that point too. I don't know how old she was, but. I mean, even now, I swear, like I did uh, uh, for the, I, I don't know. I did a few horny posts last year of like a then <laughs> and now for, for actresses. And I was like, she is still a smoking hot Fox, man. So good for her. I don't know what her <laughs> secret is, but <laughs> maybe she's the devil. You know what? It, she, maybe <laughs> it's a good theory. Um, did you, did you read that Brad Pitt turned down the lead role of born identity to this movie? Really? Yes which I thought was very interesting because there's definitely some similarities, I feel like, with like espionage. Oh, yeah. when, and When does Bourne come out? Is that 02, 03? It's 02, 02, yeah. 02, okay. The next year. So um, I thought that was really interesting because that's a whole different timeline if Matt Damon is not Jason Bourne. And like, I could definitely see Brad Pitt doing it. It's not one of those things where I'm like, oh, I can't even imagine um, someone else in that role. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, that is, it's just interesting because I feel like that, made matt damon more of a well i think i don't know if he'd done any action before that so no, um, no, yeah yeah, yeah they, they you know they i think oceans 11 was sort of like their their first you know one foot in even though that's more of a you know comedy than anything else kind of one foot in to action ish genre um and then you know after that it's uh Man, it's hard. See, I it, I can't imagine Brad Pitt in the Bourne movies uh, because I don't know. Matt Damon just seems so young and perfect mm. um, for that role. Where Brad Pitt, although you know, watching this, he does look very young uh, in Spy Game. Brad Pitt, that is. Yeah, yeah, I thought the same thing. <laughs> you know, because I mean, like, right? You know, Brad Pitt now for the rest of my life is forever going to be cliff booth right right yeah <laughs> that's uh, true and so like you know he's a grizzled veteran you know he's 50 years old but you know still looks fabulous of course but like it's it's weird watching spy game like look at that baby face brad pitt uh 
and you know, e even going back further, of course, you know, in uh, uh, True Romance, you know, where he's much, much younger, but still, you know, in 2000, 2001, Babyface Brad Pitt. Okay, so here's something I, I, I find interesting. Uh, not so much anymore in movies, but especially in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, when there's a movie with flashbacks, mm -hmm. you have, so in this case, Robert Redford, present day Redford, uh, you know, just kind of in his tweed blazer and, you know, button up shirt and he's got his glasses, you know, classic Redford. But then we have the flashbacks where they don't do any sort of, you know, dumb de-aging bullshit right uh but he looks older to me in those flashbacks like especially the charlotte <laughs> rampling scene that's oh, like interesting. They, he looks 10 years older than he does when he when it's supposed to be you know 10 years <laughs> in the future i hadn't thought about this because i um it uh i thought he kind of looked the same like i thought he never really looked older or younger at any point it's funny you thought he looked older um now I'm probably going to think of that time I watch it. <laughs> I have to mention, I'm glad you reminded me of this. I almost forgot. Um, I watched a movie either the same day as Spy Game or the day before, uh, a new movie this came out, uh, where they de-aged an actress and it looked fucking terrible. It was, it was atrocious. It was, and I was so grateful that Spy Game didn't even seem like they barely tried to de-age Robert. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was like, they go back like 15, 16 years <gasps> From the, the starting point with the present day is 91 in spy games. They go to like 1975, I believe, or 76. Yeah. Um, so they go back like when you're an adult, I mean, it's a ways back, but it's not like he's a kid, you know? So, um, but it, they didn't, I, I feel like they may darken his hair a bit. I don't know. It was like, but I was so happy. They, they, they gave yeah. him sideburns. Right. Uh, whereas like Brad Pitt, Brad's, Brad Pitt like goes through several different looks, like it's his hair. The hair. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, and so they they help him uh, look younger, you know, just with hair and style. But like with Redford, like in that rampling scene, like they give him uh, double bars on his, uh, you know, double bar nose piece on his glasses uh, and then sideburns. Mm -hmm. It's like he looks fucking 70 <laughs> years old here. Like, what are you doing? I got to go back and look now because yeah. I just I uh, yeah, I did, I'd watch something where they just de-age somebody digitally and it was like the worst is thing. it can i ask is it katherine keener oh yeah <laughs> did you watch did you watch no, the adam project no no fuck okay. no come on you know me matt i'm not gonna watch that but i New saw uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw the pictures on twitter and i was like oh what the fuck is this yeah and i i actually liked uh, the adam project for the most part um, Yeah, it's, everyone's liking it so it and but it that was god awful i was i was shocked <laughs> i was i cannot believe people let this pass like at that point just get a different actress you know what I mean? it's like they we could have figured it out. You know, I hate when it's like, like, it's like, just cause you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. <laughs> and right, uh, exactly. yeah, it's one of the worst I've seen much. I mean, I've seen the agents that are kind of crazy, like amazing looking. That's not one of them. They had a project. That's like, it's, it's one of the worst I've ever seen. So watching that and then watching spy game where they're like, eh, put some give a shit. yeah, we don't have to do shit. Give a shit. They'll, fi it's a, they'll figure it out. They don't need to see a DH Robert Redford or a DH Brad Pitt. It's like, it's fine. So yeah, I really appreciate that. I have to go. The, the looking older thing is fascinating to me because I did not think about that, but I have to go back and look now. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's take a minute. Now, everyone should know by, by this point in the episode, I fucking love spy game. And if you, <laughs> if you say anything bad about it around me, I will hurt you. 
Um, <laughs> but give me give me sixty seconds to say some bad things about Spy Game. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the saturation. I fucking hate that. That is it. That is so uh, 2001. I mean, like, yeah, you know, I... <laughs> uh, D- David Fincher sort of, uh, I don't want to say pioneers, but like he's, he's sort of, you know, the first one to do it where, you know, they take the silver out of the film stock for seven in 1990 was five, five? 1995. Okay. But like, uh five six years later they can do it in camera with lenses and like saturation and stuff and it is so i know tony was supposed to like he wanted to do that for like time periods and for where they like for when they're supposed to be berlin they're shooting in istanbul and Mm -hmm. it's gorgeous but he wanted it to be blue uh because of like old footage that he saw in old pictures and fine but like it's way too much and like the vietnam stuff it's basically orange i understand (laughs) like you're you want it to be like hot looking and humid but like for god's sakes turn down the color a little bit i I just i feel like he went over the top and like you said like when he gets to his trilogy of uh the the denzel trilogy like he really gets a, a handle on that on on his look that he that he wants that he's really known for now um uh like his is you know his legacy is sort of that you know his later films that look of his later films here i think he's fucking around with it too much and again it it doesn't take away anything from the film because the story and the acting is is so great it doesn't bother me that much but like for god's sakes calm down on that I see. I was thinking of it too as a time of like this. Maybe this wasn't overdone in 2001. We look back now and think, oh, this is very 2001. Um, and I don't know at the time it was being used as much. I know it was used after, obviously. Um, and I think there was something I read where he wanted to just use different film stocks. And then somebody yeah. was like, well, Tony, if we just like digitally desaturize it, it'll be cheaper. And it was like, okay. And they probably were fucking around with it. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I it's weird. I, he goes, even farther with it in like man on fire and domino um and i it's almost like a thing where i'm like go all in with it or i don't know to me it's weird i can't describe it but like it doesn't really bother me i know it bothers a lot of people um but i might just be biased i don't know know, yeah yeah you know it again I understand what he's going for. So it, it you know, it's still right. comfort to me. And I think because there's a, to me, there's a reason he's trying to do it. I know some people do because they think it looks cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just think he's doing it because like, what's an interesting visual way to kind of cue people in that we're in a different time in a different place. Um, which is why he, I think people criticize like stuff in some type of man on fire. Why it's like so erratic and it, he has all this, he has reasoning of, oh, I want to put you in like Denzel's mindset and, um, how kind of how he sees the world and all these things like so I always appreciate I feel like Tony has reasons for doing these stylistic things and it's not just like fuck it it looks cool <laughs> you know? No, and you know yeah. what the, like the, the choices with the camera movement like the handheld you know versus uh, dolly versus you know fucking helicopter it all makes sense and it all works it's just the the saturation the oversaturation the desaturation as it just bothered me okay uh here's another thing and this isn't uh you know well i guess it could be on tony but the script uh the perfect scene uh of the intimate setting between redford and pitt on top of the building there in 
Berlin, uh, you know, behind the Panasonic sign. It's shot with the helicopter. We talked about it earlier. Mm-hmm. It's so gorgeous. Uh, there is <laughs> a line here that I did guffaw out loud. I was watching it last night. I was like, oh! uh, he, hold on. I got to hear where, where shit. Um, he goes, uh, uh, oh God, damn it. Oh, uh, Brad Pitt walks up and he's like, this isn't a game. And Redford goes, uh, yes, it is. It is a game. And then like, there's a pause uh, and it's, it's a very pregnant, a v- nine months pregnant pause. <laughs> and in my mind, I heard Robert Redford go, yes, it is. It is a game, a spy game. <laughs> I, I think I was thinking the same thing when I rewatched this. I was like, my God, if they said spy game right there, do a hard cut to credits and end the movie. <laughs> yeah, right. It is yeah. a game, a spy yeah, game. Hard, hard cut to David Crusoe putting on the sunglasses. Yeah, and- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh. But thank God he doesn't say that. Yeah, no, it's no. like we need to shorten, like cut that, please, for God's sake. Like, <laughs> people's minds are going to run there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, a couple more things that I didn't like. Um, because okay, <laughs> so uh, Muir says I know who Tom Bishop was after. I know who he was trying to get in the prison. Mm-hmm. And he says it's it's uh kate uh hadley right hadley is her name yeah yeah and so troy's sitting at the desk and like he's got these guys in the control room who are you know running the tape and recording the conversation and they're pulling up the files they need and everything but he goes uh you know he pushes the intercom and he goes uh get me everything we have on hadley and and it's it's not like it's a jump in time it's the next shot two seconds later this this woman comes in and she has like a stack of dossiers uh all about hadley and she hands them out to each of the men it's like they had this shit ready it's like oh okay that that made me laugh um and the last thing is here uh one mid-level cia man is able to like call in a seal team is that is that how this works? I was surprised by that too, but wasn't there the scene where he cuts out the director's signature from that plaque he got and puts it onto an order? And so doesn't I think he's he's so to the guy who calls it in to him and says, Are we doing the operation? Whoever what that guy would be in the military. I'm assuming that guy thinks that they have top level, like head of the CIA authorization, but the the things being run by Robert Redford. Is how I took it. Oh shit! Did I miss? <laughs> there's that there's a whole thing with like Redford. This is the stuff I love too. When he's like, kind of, he's like crafting this whole this whole operation by himself overnight in the, the Langley, and he yeah. takes his plaque he got and smashes the glass, and then takes off the signature. There's a line early on where Redford looks at it and goes, "Oh, it looks like he actually signed it. It wasn't auto pen." Oh yes, yeah, okay. And uh, uh, okay, all right. He kind of cuts sense. it out and does something where he puts it on an order. So I assume that. The military guys think that they have like top top echelon, yeah, top okay. echelon authorization. But Robert Redford is just running the operation, but he has the authorization to do it. Is what I because I thought that too at first. I was like, wait, how is he okay. running this whole yes. huge operation, dangerous thing into a Chinese prison? And it seems very. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, like, don't you like that? Seems like an act of war. Like the Chinese right. would <laughs> would like declare war the next instant. Okay, so 
while we're uh, shitting on the movie, shitting on this perfect movie, and I swear to God, it's a perfect movie. Okay, let's talk about the ending real quick. Mm-hmm. So they they get Hadley, they get Bishop out of uh, Su Chow prison. They're flying back, and and then Redford gets out of the building and he speeds off in his little sports car. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has Redford has emptied his savings, his two hundred eighty-two thousand dollars. Right. He paid off uh, a Chinese guy to complete this mission. Mm-hmm. So he has no retirement. Right. Uh, <laughs> does he not think the CIA are going to like chase him down and like find him? Okay. I had questions about this. I'm glad you brought okay. this up. Okay. This is what I'm also, yeah. also, but okay. <laughs> what the fuck? And I'm not one for like, Oh, I want a sequel. Cause I want to know what's going on, but we need to know what the fuck is going to happen with Bishop and Hadley. Now, like Bishop is still technically part. He, he's a government employee. He's part of the CIA. He's going to have a lot of red tape to cut through. He's going to have court hearings. He's possibly court-martialed, right? Uh, yeah, and then Hadley, yeah. like, what the, like, America, they're, <laughs> just get rid of her. Like, she's going to go back to London, and she's going to be sentenced to death for that bombing that, that killed the Chinese family. Oh, I right? think about that. Yeah, I, like, I she's thought- not an American citizen. That's true. Uh, she's not even a British citizen because didn't they throw her out or they miss that? <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah, she's exiled. So, like, like what? They send her back to Su Chow. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's a good. I didn't think about that one. The Brad Pitt thing, I did think about, and the red. Like, you bring up a lot of good points here. That, that I saw. I did see this criticism. A lot of people were saying there's like there's some holes and there's some things that are like complete like logic. You know, there's some real there's some real stretches, and I'm like, yes, it's a movie, but. Um, uh, well, okay, let's go back to the Redford thing because I do love how this plays off or pays out, but like, so Redford pulls all this shit off, gets the operation, gets Brad Pitt out of there um, and is leaving the building in his car. He's never gonna come back. He's retired. Uh, he's gotten away with this whole thing because uh, what does he tell the guys in the conference room? He was trying to, he was trying to survey. He used CIA uh, assets right. to, to, to look at Bahama, his, right. to see Bahama. the Bahaman island, the island he would by with his retirement and he's like sorry guys i used assets to look at this and then they you know they don't have anything on him so he gets out in his car the uh, harker figures out like oh shit he did something calls the front gate but they don't answer redford speeds off it's not like if you leave langley you're out of bounds like a kid you know like a game like can't they just go get him <laughs> like it's, you know what yeah, i mean like where is he like he has nothing like I'm sure he's going to get retired. Well, you know what? The CIA is going to withhold his retirement checks now, his his pension, right? That's uh, what I thought. Yeah, I mean, because unless... he, he emptied out what he has. He had that 282 grand and it's gone now because he transferred it to that, right. that Cayman account. And then that dude took, emptied the Cayman account, the Chinese guy. Right. I was thinking unless he had some other money stashed away. Like I'm like thinking, is he a guy that would stash like, uh, like, you know, who buried like fucking gold and silver in his backyard or something. Uh, I mean? Okay. So I was like, you know what? We need like a tag, like a post credits tag, uh, something a la Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> where, where, who is it? Tim Robbins that goes to the, or is the, it Morgan? The tree. Freeman? Yeah. Oh, with, he, he, no. yeah. Tim Robbins like gives the directions to Morgan Freeman. Morgan at the end, Morgan Freeman goes and like finds the, the box by the box of wall gold or whatever and, it is. Yeah. yeah. We need we need a post credits tag on Spy Game, 
a la Shawshank Redemption with that. Like we need to know what the like or or, or just like, you know, uh, 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 title cards. Uh, yeah, that's... Hadley was sent back to Su Chow because she's in exile and and she killed people. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, Tom Bishop was court-martialed and is rotting away in prison in Washington D.C. for the rest of his life. And Robert Redford was, uh, <laughs> in quotes, uh, you know, ha- died of natural circumstances. We all know that he was assassinated by the CIA. A really dark i'm not sure i want this anymore <laughs> it's all very dark i was going the other way i was you could say hadley uh got uh amnesty and was allowed to go back uh, i don't know to england or wherever and then brad pitt maybe just got put on like desk work or something and then uh robert redford you know wound up i don't know where he'd wind up because he again that's i don't know if he has money somewhere else besides that account it's not like he just wait he something like he wiped out everything but um i'm being hopeful and hoping he has some money scored away somewhere else but uh yeah he's probably i don't know the thing is too it's like so harker thinks he's onto it but this harker has to convince everybody else that rob rever actually did something right i mean you know what i mean it's like right. if everyone else is like shut the fuck up parker you know it's like he's gone like just let it go um so maybe he would get away with it and they would still send him retirement checks i, don't I, I mean our okay so what redford did was i mean good from a humanitarian standpoint but very illegal from a legal standpoint yes <laughs> yes oh yeah yeah i mean he forged the like director of the cia's uh you know signature on a and <laughs> ordered a whole operation and risked guys lives for it so well, yeah I, he'd be in a shit ton of trouble if they figured it out <laughs> like yeah like two choppers full of like a navy seals team it was like you know uh the like the osama bin laden mission where like these guys break into this chinese prison like this is like <laughs> why what, what what's what's the point here uh, it's I do love the little touch of the actual C not actual but like the CIA director uh, showing up like the next day in the conference room and uh, he's like I think I'll stay I, w- I want to watch this like it, it's kind of cool like he's like I want to watch this mirror I want to watch him work oh yeah <laughs> see what he like see how he does things because uh, it, it honest to God it, it really is fun to watch uh the character of mirror nathan mirror kind of work and how redford portrays him and how tony cuts it like we get so many great facial expressions from redford and like tony uh spends a lot of time like uh, with the camera on redford's face uh you know raising an eyebrow we we don't know what he's thinking but we can see that he's thinking and that is, you know, it's really hard to be able to act with just your face uh, yes, and, yeah. and to keep the audience riveted the entire time. Yet Redford, hello, one of the greatest American actors, uh, does it flawlessly in this movie. Yeah, he's great in this. I have really become a much bigger Robert Redford fan the past few years. Um, and I'm thinking mostly of like this and sneakers specifically (laughs) um another great movie the great movie and uh yeah i mean the first i know the first time i saw spy game uh i didn't love it as much as now but i was i was really blown away by his performance i think he uh i don't know if that carries the movie because you know Brad Pitt's good but it's like the lot of it does lean on him there's so much of him in the office trying to get these things done 
Um, I love that. Yeah, he's trying to get all that's my favorite part of the movie is Robert Redford trying to do all these little sneaky things in the in the actual office, <laughs> like in front of these guys. And I was like, he gets the phone call from a secretary or or somebody else pretends it's his wife, and they, they keep joking about how many fucking wives this guy had. That is that is such a great running joke. And so funny. The whole like dinner, he's you know, talking in code, dinner, dinner out yeah, operation dinner out. Oh, again, <laughs> like that for me, I don't know about anybody else, but for me, like that was a goosebump moment, like where, uh, uh, you know, he gets the call from the military guy and he's like, Operation Dinner Out is a go. And then uh, with uh, Tom Bishop on the helicopter, it's like, what did you say? What's the name of the operation? And the guy, he's like, Operation Dinner Out. And he just has that little smirk. And like, I, I have goosebumps right now talking about that. You know, it, maybe it's cheesy, but man, it fucking works. It's so exciting. No, I thought that was a great. Yeah, you're right. It's like, like I said, the score there is really good, and like his reaction to it, like the the whole like, what's the operation dinner out? And it, it it works. I think it really does work. And like, um, oh god, what was I gonna say about the Redford thing and like his wives? It was something I was gonna say. Uh, uh yeah, no, I just love this whole continuing thing. Oh, there's a there's a thing I thought that some I'm glad they comment on where Redford says something. Um. Oh, I think he said Operation Out to go. And I think he's talking to his wife and two of the guys at the table at oh. Langley turned to each other and was like, he talks to his wife like that? Dinner's a go? And he's like, my wife's had four wives or three wives. <laughs> Which I was glad somebody commented because I'm like, these are all supposed to be smart CIA guys. And well, they have, I mean, it's the perfect, it's Paul Michael Chen, uh, who he's another that guy actor. Like you would recognize him in these bit parts from just hundreds of movies and TV shows. Uh, but he he's always that sort of character who's sitting back waiting to drop the one line where it's like, what the fuck is going on here? And and it gets like an audible laugh. And he's so great <laughs> at that because he has a couple of those lines in this movie mm -hmm. um, where I feel like Harker and Troy are the just the biggest pieces of shit in that conference room. But then you have uh, Paul Michael Chan he's the Asian fellow, the bald guy. And then the white guy sitting next to him um, who are sort of the comic relief in this tense moment. Mm -hmm. they, yeah. I, I, there's not like, it's funny cause it's a pretty heavy movie, but there are like a, a decent amount of like light uh, moments peppered in and funny stuff. And I mean, just, just, I'm just kick, like delighted watching Rob Redford, like fuck with these people, especially Harker. <laughs> like, um, in the room and like you know just bullshitting them and uh i yeah i don't know that stuff all works i could watch a whole movie of um like robert redford and just you know doing stuff at langley <laughs> like just him like a, it's like a one crazy night movie at langley of him well, trying it, to get it, shit done it's yeah. almost sort of a um another version of the character he played in the sting uh, I've never seen this. I still haven't seen the sting. Oh, the, Matt, you I would know. love the sting. It's so fun. It's <laughs> such a fun movie. Um, you know, of course, they're con artists in that movie. Um, and, and, you know, to a, a lesser extent, uh, Butch Cassidy, of course, that's a more tragic ending in that movie. Uh, but like, he's, he knows he's fucking with these guys. He's playing with them and he knows he's better than them. And it's fun to watch him do that. And that's what it's like the sting. The sting is the whole movie is that these two guys fucking with everybody in this town um, because they know they're the best con men. And 
it, it is such a pleasure watching Redford do that toy with these, especially Troy and Harker. Um, and it's nice. Like Tony gives these little touches where, uh, uh, when Mir is training Bishop and they're sitting in the restaurant, he's like, uh, what about the guy in the kitchen? What do you think about him? And Pitt, uh, Bishop turns and like has to look through the door. He's like, how'd you see that guy? And he points to the reflection in the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the cloche um, or, uh, or like the reflection for what's the name of the operation that the CIA is trying to run to kill Bishop. Oh, Sun- oh. Sidewinder. Is it Sidewinder? Oh, damn it. It's so close. I, uh, Oh shit. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I'm yeah. It's close to Sidewinder, but I don't think it's Sidewinder. Something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, like he sees the reflection of that in the table upside down and he's like, tell me about operation Sidewinder or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. It's, it's real fun to watch him, watch him work again. I can't imagine, you know, two other guys playing this, these roles, like, because these are to me, the Kings of cool. Uh, Pitt and Redford and okay so here's something that that sort of drove me crazy so Beirut <laughs> when they first introduced Beirut what year mm-hmm. is it 85 okay mid 80s right uh-huh so we see Brad Pitt he's posing as a photographer in Beirut and he's wearing because he's from San Diego he's wearing the Padres hat right mm-hmm. uh that Padres hat was not introduced <laughs> until 1992. I read this. Yes, I, it was the wrong Padres. <laughs> wrong Padres hat. But uh, I, I'm a huge baseball fan, uh, and I, I'm a Chicago Cubs guy. But I was so obsessed with this movie that I went out and bought that San Diego Padres hat because it's so cool. <laughs> and I, oh, wow. I, went, yeah. I went against my cubbies and, and wore a Padres hat until it got disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> eh, I mean, but no one cares about the Padres, so it's probably fine, right? It's like <laughs> exactly. it's they're not like they're not like your rivals or anything. So it's like I have I, I, this sounds mean. I'm sorry to any actual Padres. I've never in my life met a San Diego Padres. Fan. <laughs> like, I've met one and I was like, what? and he lives here in Omaha, like oh, in the wow. middle of the country. <laughs> Even like, what, what the like wait most baseball fans around here are chicago cubs chicago white Sox, uh some twins uh, some cardinals but mostly kansas city royals okay yeah yeah uh because that is kansas city is like two and a half three hours away from here uh but the F- padres are you fucking kidding me like <laughs> Like Tony Gwynn, that's it, right? That yeah, yeah, like, that's true. Come on, I, no, nobody else. Like it's the Padres. It's it's like a team, yeah, that never. Like, I get only anything about. I can't think of any players from it. Tony Gwynn, like you said, it's very I weird. They, they back in early '90s, I think it was, or maybe it was mid '90s. They got to the World Series, and they were out in four games. They lost all the first four games, and the series was over. I was like, that's the fucking Padres. That's why. <laughs> I'm sorry. They, were in, the, they were in the World Series. Yeah, I'm sorry to any Padres fans. Like calling uh, out yeah. Padres fans, people who are given uh, spy game low scores on Letterboxd, <laughs> making enemies. That's, that's we'll feeling. find. Listen, I'm sure we'll find if there's Padres fans listen to this because they'll be very upset. I'd, I'd be <laughs> I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. Also, more time in baseball, I might as well stop this podcast dead because I I'm going to ask you. You're a Cubs fan. I'm not from the area at all. I'm not from the Midwest. I, I know Chicago White Sox is south side and Outside, cubs are yeah. north side yep is that like 
is how people decide what it, like uh, what uh team to root for like is it more like people in the city root for the white Sox, people in the suburbs work for the, work for the cubs or uh well you know uh adam <laughs> risky he lives in the suburbs he is a and and mike pomero uh suburbs guys they are avid white Sox fans interesting um, okay so just like family, you pick whichever one you like better like is it? I, yeah i i don't i don't know like um <laughs> i don't really know how that works like my family uh from the area lives in aurora illinois it's a suburb oh like in wayne's world yeah yeah <laughs> welcome to aurora eat me thought it was a fake place until i heard like a few years ago i was like oh aurora is a real place in illinois. oh yeah okay. real place. Yeah. that's right um <laughs> they uh my family were cubs fans so you know i don't i don't understand (laughs) exactly how it works if it is like i grew up on the south side so i have to root for the white Sox. um you know kind of same thing with the yankees and the mets i've never said that one either is it like what borough you live in i i don't understand (laughs) yeah like okay if uh i live in the bronx so i have to cheer for the yankees while i live in queens i have to cheer for the mets Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't Is that how it works? Fuck fine. Somebody, I got to ask Adam Risky too about the White Sox, like why he's a White when, Sox fan. Yeah. When I heard he was a White Sox fan, I was like, why? Because <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm Sox? not from there. I don't know. I, the only thing I'd ever heard in my life before was like, okay, White Sox are South Side, Cubs North. Side. And then I also heard someone make the distinction years ago, like, well, usually the Cubs fans live in the suburbs, the White Sox fans live in the city. And that's all I heard. But then, yeah, you said like Adam and Mike uh, break that trend. So um, maybe it's just uh, you know, probably who your family rooted for and sure. uh, who you wanted to root for as a kid. Uh, you guys are spoiled with your, well, you don't live in Chicago, but these cities with two sports teams drive me nuts because I live in <laughs> Virginia Beach, Norfolk area, which has a, we have a ton of people. You're a huge population. Um, we have the largest naval base in the world, but we don't have a fucking major league sports team of any kind at all and i don't like it makes no sense i'm sort of going this rant but it makes no sense we can't get a sports team we our population is so much bigger than so many other cities that have sports teams Sports teams, right it makes no sense and then there's some cities with two sports teams i'm like well that's just greedy that you have two two baseball teams and two football teams like that's just not right so i i don't understand i'll have to talk to more people from chicago about this whole white Sox cubs uh thing because i really can't wrap my head around it yeah, it is very interesting. You know, everybody in Chicago is a Bulls fan, though. That's the one thing they can all right. agree on. You so. only have one of those teams, though. And a Bears yeah, fan, I imagine. So, uh, Yeah, yeah, Bears. But uh, <laughs> it's like everybody is a Bulls fan. Right. I mean. Like, like the Bulls and, you know, especially because uh, I, I had been in Aurora visiting my family when the Bulls won their first three-peat. Uh, back in the early 90s oh yeah yeah and like it was fucking insane like the <laughs> like the whole town just went on a huge freaking party bender uh, <laughs> but like everybody's a bulls fan but some people are cubs fans some people are blackhawks fans and then like you're either white Sox fan or you're a cubs fan i don't understand how that works so <laughs> i mean listen i was I- I think a lot of people are Bulls fans in the 90s who weren't even from the area. Like I was oh, yeah. a little kid. I was a fucking bandwagon fan all day long. But again, I didn't have any sports to root for. So I was like, go Bulls. <laughs> so I was like Michael Jordan, all those guys. Like these guys, are the, they win. This is the best. Like I'm gonna you, know, you know what team I hate though? The oh, fucking uh, San Diego Padres. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I, I'm gonna. We're gonna find that one Padres fan who's just really upset with me now, and me to get a bad. Gonna fuck up your your iTunes rating. I know it's it's perfect right now too. It's gonna ruin it. Uh, I'm sorry. I love the Padres, San Diego. Hey, go Padres. No one can. I mean, no one can really hate the Padres because it's like, who are they hurting? You know, <laughs> exactly. No, you're exactly right, Matt. You're exactly right. Who are the Padres hurting? No one. No one. This is no one. Perfect. Um, okay. Well, that was that was sports feast. Uh, that was a side, side <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, that was fine. I um, I started that when I asked about the, the Cubs and the White Sox. But well, I, um, I, I I do appreciate that that little detail in Spy Game where it's like we know this guy's from San Diego and he ends up wearing the hat. Like it's just sort of in in passing type of thing. And they do mention like you know he get him out and send him back to San Diego type of thing. Um, but you know, it's little character details like that, that for me, like make me invested, like it invests me in this guy even more. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, I mean, even if the, even if it's the wrong hat, it doesn't matter. It's a detail that counts. Like, right. Well, and that's the funny thing. Like, uh, even, uh, Brad Pitt has the line, like, I don't know anything about you when he's talking to Redford Mm -hmm. and, uh, like, I had to do some digging, you know, to figure out your real birthday. You know, there's, you have four like birthdays. Seven, yeah. seven birthdays. In the <laughs> Listed uh, in the system. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's, it's the, again, a uh, clever little detail where we know a few things about, uh, about Bishop, but we know jack shit about Muir. We think we right. might know some stuff. Does he have, has he had four wives? We don't know for sure. Like we still, even when the movie ends, what the fuck if we know we don't really know for sure <laughs> i thought they and they might have still been wrong i thought some near the end they kind of say he's only he been married, married once. once right but we don't know if, at this yeah. like we've been fucked around so much we don't know at this point so right right you know, that, i think that's that's part of the genius of the movie <laughs> and and maybe that's you know all those little details added up create this very interesting movie in my opinion, and maybe stuff like that is what drove people crazy when they first watched it. They're like, there's too much. There's too much going on here. And there is. I agree. There's a lot going on. Yeah. But uh, I guess I'm just <laughs> never mind. I was... Never mind. I like this movie. I was going to say something really mean, but okay. I like this movie. Uh... <laughs> What's it about the Padres? <laughs> Padres no. bash in. Uh, no, that new podcast, Padres bash. Oh, that um, I, it's funny. I, I gotta say this before I forget. Um, you brought up that scene earlier where they're at a restaurant, Brad Pitt and Robert Redford, and he, Robert Redford's kind of giving him the basics or you know, kind oh, of yeah. the tips on being a spy. Basically, I love that shit in movies, and it so kind of goes good. like with like con man stuff too. Like, yep. there's always this kind of almost like a montage where somebody will say, you know, how do you pickpocket somebody or how do you scope a room right. out? Like, I love, I eat that shit up. It's like, I love it so much. I almost well, wish there was even more of it, honestly. For sure. Well, like I love in the Gone in 60 Seconds remake. Oh, like, I watched that again, actually. They, they, that recently. they, you know, speaking of the same guy, you know, around the same time period. Yeah, yeah. Um, same year, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they kind of have one of those where, you know, uh, he assembles the team and they're all in the garage. And he's kind of running through. This is how it works type of thing. And yeah, that's another thing, uh, like how I was saying earlier towards the beginning of the episode where we don't get, you know, any more of these kind of giant international big budget spy movies. Um, I can't remember the last time we got a sort of like montage sequence 
of these like really uh, curious training, like, you know, with a spy or, or a con man, these montages of this training sequence mm-hmm. uh, that seemed to be so pro- prevalent in uh, the early 2000s. Yeah, it does kind of feel like a, not like a lost art, but <laughs> you don't see it as much. Um, and I, I love when they do that kind of stuff. I feel like it was really probably like, cause of like Ocean's 11 and, Oh, and God, yes. like oh. uh yeah <laughs> love that movie um gone in 60 seconds the good ex- i just bought that on blu-ray and i really want to rewatch it again i was like i haven't seen this in so long um i'm this is all things i love like getting a team together yeah. uh like training people on you know how to do cool shit like spies con stuff or you know they steal something or um i love that stuff and i'm glad you brought up like I didn't really say much about this, but it's by game where they're going to all these different locations, which is why the movie costs so much is is because they go to so many different actual locations, which now it's like, let's just shoot all in like a soundstage in like Atlanta or something. I think like Marvel shoots like stuff in Georgia and it's like, they just have like a big soundstage and they just kind of green screen everything. But um, yes, I love that they took the, the time and the effort and it was not an easy shoot. It sounded like uh, because they had to keep moving around they were running into like international incident. Like there was oh, yeah, talk, the, talk about the Israel thing. So yeah, I guess Israel and Palestine uh, things were heating up. I mean, this was 2000. They were shooting this, I think. And uh, things were heating up there and they had to get out. Uh, there was even stuff when they moved. Oh boy. There's so many locations. Hard to keep them all straight. It was, I think they were in Morocco and they were hearing like gunfights every night and they had to like be careful there. Um, but yeah, they had, they had to up and leave Israel because somebody like, I think through a Molotov cocktail at yeah, yeah. the set. Yeah. And it was like, um, and, and it's funny, the movie's like on a ticking clock. They were on a ticking clock shooting this because Brad Pitt was contracted oh, yeah. to do Ocean's yep. Eleven. Right. And they were like, we have, we can't, basically, they couldn't even lose like a few days because they were, the, it was so tight and they had to get it done. Um, so it did not sound like an easy movie to shoot. They're running all over the world. They're having to leave locations. Um, they're having to move so quickly because they they have to get done with Brad Pitt by a certain date, or he has to go do this other movie. Um, so it all sounded very stressful, <laughs> honestly. But um, and the budget was huge, and like I felt bad because like they mentioned the, the the author of the book mentions like this might be the most baffling kind of not like it was a complete miss, but it it cost so much to make that it barely got that back, and I'm sure it that's not really, you know, when you barely make your money back on a $115 million movie, that's not good. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, like the budget doesn't even include like the PNA. Right. And all the, you know, they probably spent $50 million on. So they didn't make their money back. No. Yeah. And this is like a baffling miss for him because you have two very big stars from two different generations. um, And it's kind of this big spy thriller and, and a big budget and has all these things going for it. And uh, again, it could have been, the being post 9-11 so close to that people didn't want this kind of thing um although it's funny because black hawk down really scott's black hawk down comes out like a month after spy game does very well but that's way more of like a rah-rah um True. america True. movie you know like a patriotic type thing um and easier to follow this is like i said the first time i had a hard time kind of keeping up with all the pieces there's a lot of moving pieces um so yeah i had like this it it did okay first weekend, had a very bad drop second weekend. Um, international uh, helped out the, the making money back a lot. But uh, but yeah. yeah, it's like a kind of, it is kind of a baffling miss because it seems like 
fairly mainstream and it's got big stars and uh yeah i mean he, he'll do fine after this but it's it's uh it's it's one of the biggest budgets he worked 150 million dollars is like one of the bigger budgets he he had and uh i mean i do appreciate you can see i feel like you could tell it costs a lot of money you know oh, what i mean God, yes <laughs> which that happened there's a that's a criticism of a lot of movies nowadays is that you'll hear they cost 200 million dollars and you're like where the fuck did the money go <laughs> yes it, okay okay well let's talk about this for a second so uh, real quick, Benedict Wong. Uh, yes, makes now real, real a short Marvel movie. guy. Yeah. Right. So speaking <laughs> of like shooting on a soundstage green screen type of shit. Um, uh, so th- that was really, he doesn't say anything, but I was like, oh my God, holy shit. This has got to be one of his early movies. Uh, so why do these newer movies cost so fucking much money? Because here in Spy Game for $150 million, they're blow- literally blowing up real buildings. They're flying all over the world. Uh, you know, they're they're flying helicopters. Right. They're, like <laughs> the amount of shit they're doing, the, the two of the biggest stars at the time. Brad Pitt, probably the 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 most the biggest movie star of the time. Um and well, <sighs> I don't understand. I get why this movie costs $115 million. I don't understand why something else you know, released this year cost, you know, $200 million, you know, James Cameron, sure. He's creating new technology for his movies, whatever. It's going to cost a billion dollars to make one movie. Sounds ridiculous, but go for it. Uh, but like these green screen type of movies, uh, I, I just don't understand. But then you watch movies like, and it was fun with F this movie fest, watching all these 1996 movies. Oh yeah. Everybody's yeah. like, look, real fire. real airplanes real you know real things and you get that in spy game and it's it's just as um you know a handful of years later things really start to turn and they start experimenting with the technology but here in spy game we get real shit being blown up we get uh you know big names uh yet and it's like it it seems like it's a perfect movie. You get you get Redford, who's attracting the older crowd. You get Pitt, who's attracting the younger crowd, and you would you would think you'd get this sort of this amalgam of uh, this generational intergenerational audience, but you don't. Like, who is this movie made for? And I'll tell you, Matt, this movie is made for Anthony Michael Lloyd King. That's <laughs> Well, I mean, that's good. I'm glad <laughs> they made a movie just for you. <laughs> just for me. I love that feeling of like, they made this movie just for me, didn't they? Um, that, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I was going to pick on um, uh, movie a movie that costs like, I want to say like $220 million. Uh, oh. Did you watch Jungle Cruise with The Rock? I did. <laughs> and it's it's ridiculous, but I actually really like that, <laughs> really like that movie. I, I had fun with it. I... You know, I, I'm trying to remember, like, my, my, my girlfriend really liked it. And I was like, this is fine. I, but I just, the, when you hear how much it costs and then you look at it and you're like, what, what? Yeah. It costs, it costs, okay. It costs 200 million. Um, and the the crazy thing is I'm looking at this and it only made 220 million as it's gross. So that's not really what they would call a success. I'm sure, because they want to make more than. 20 million dollars when they spent 200 million (laughs) it's like but that movie looks like there's no reason for it to cost that much like where did the money go i don't understand (laughs) like exactly and i would have much rather seen them do it out 
in a real location. I don't think yeah, there was go much. Down, yeah, go down to South America. For God's sakes, go down to Florida at least. <laughs> yeah, you go know. to get Werner I mean, Herzog to shoot it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, oh my God, Werner Herzog's Jungle Cruise. <laughs> Oh we need it. We need. I will finance that shit. I will give him twenty five dollars, and he will make a bomb ass fucking jungle cruise. This, this is his follow up to Aguirre. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Aguirre's in Jungle Cruise, right? The character, yeah, the, the, the man, character. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Insane, like just such a weird touch. But yeah, like I, I feel bad thing on Jungle Cruise, but it's like a fine little movie. I don't think it needed to cost that much money. That's like the thing. Exactly. Like with this, I see where they spent the money on Spy Game, like fucking flying helicopters around buildings like uh you know blowing things up and going all over the world but like another movies i'm like i don't know what actor salaries i don't they always say green screen's cheaper i'm like is it i don't you know it's like well, yeah these green screen movies are uh, way more expensive than than you know spy game so uh <laughs> I, i'm gonna do i'm gonna let me pull up an inflation calculator here okay <laughs> i want to see inflation calculator 115 million, right? Inflation did just get really bad, though. I wonder if that'll change anything. If in, we'll say 2001, 5 million, five, no, how much? The 105. 115, actually. 115. Yeah. Yeah. 115, 000, 000, 22, calculate. Uh, oh, what the? My phone, it doesn't even uh doesn't have the number <laughs> oh i'm sure i mean i'm sure it's a lot in uh, you know now but i don't know i feel like the money's there on screen which like we talked about with that the movie fest it's like those movies i felt like you could see it a lot and it's funny with those 96 movies because i felt like that was when they were really starting to kind of not test out but use a bit more cgi right but it's not completely um, dependent. You know what I mean? It's like, it's more like a tool they use to kind of fill in some gaps, I guess. I don't know how you put it, but it's like, it's not like completely dependent on the CGI because it wasn't there yet. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I appreciate it. Spy Game feels very um, like uh, tactile and grimy. And like when they're out in the field, I feel like when they're on these locations, like, uh, you feel the dirt, you feel like it just, it just feels like they're, you know, they're actually, they're doing this stuff. Um, uh, I will say one, I, I didn't, we didn't mention this really hardly at all, but I think that sequence is really amazing and super tense when they're trying to get the doctor um, to that, to the, uh, what oh, is yeah. The, in, yeah, in, in Beirut. Yeah, to the building and then yeah. it gets attacked and it's like the super like 10 sequence of, well, getting him there is already stressful enough. And then when he gets there and then they get attacked and it's like, and like, what do they, do we know exactly what happened? I mean, do we just assume he died in the explosion? Yeah, I think we have to. Cause it's like, they, they make some comment about how those guys like went way overboard with the explosives they used. Um, and like, you see the building just completely <laughs> like out, yeah. blow out. And it's like, they had just taken him in there. So you can't imagine he got too far back in the building. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just, yeah, it's one of those things you got to assume that they, he was killed. I mean, it's just such a, it's a pretty I mean, impressive sequence. Like, I feel like this is very well directed by Tony. I feel like he really had a challenge on his hands to put all this, like, to think about all the stuff he's doing in this movie is like dealing with these flashbacks, dealing with these different time periods, dealing with different locations. Um, 
weaving all this together, <laughs> like making the stuff with Redford of the CIA building super interesting when he's sitting around a conference table, uh, all these different challenges, you know, he's shooting action sh- uh, scenes, he's shooting uh, it's people sitting around a table talking. It's like he's doing all these uh, things and making them come together. Um, and I think, I mean, it's pretty, co- I mean, it's, it's cohesive for the most part. It's got a lot of moving pieces, but I think he pulls it together about as well as anybody could pull it all together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was really impressed by it this time, even more than the first time I watched it, honestly, I thought it was a really good directing job by him. Cause I know all the stuff he had to go through behind the scenes too. So, so what you're saying is that this is the best Tony Scott movie. Well, <laughs> I can't go that far. My, my pick for the best Tony Scott movie is the next movie that up on the show on the unscottable. So, um, I got to go with that one, but this is a, it's a good Tony Scott, very good Tony Scott movie. And I'm liking it more, uh, each time I see it. So next time it might be I might go to a four and a four and a half star movie. I don't know. I don't know. So I don't know. Yeah, I can't, he, I can't uh, go with man on fire. So yeah, he, uh, you know, it, it is, like I said, it, I obviously some nostalgia is playing, uh, playing here, but uh, it's still so exciting. And like, how can you, how can you not like Redford and Pitt? Like, I understand that maybe it gets a little confusing, but um. Like these are the two of the most charismatic people in the world that ever existed. And... <laughs> I mean, two of our greatest movie stars. I mean, really just like, yeah, they're... I would like to see more pairings with them, honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, they, they, they play really, really well together. So, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you love Spy Game as much as you do. I, I do. I do like that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> like, I, uh, I'm glad it means so much to you. I, um yeah, I know. I'm so glad you did this. Do you have anything else you wanted to say? I, I didn't want to wrap up too soon if you have more you want to say about Spy Game, but... <laughs> uh, no, I think I think I covered it all, uh, what I wanted to say. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think we hit all the major points I wanted to. It's kind of a hard movie to talk about because there's so much going on. <laughs> like, if people haven't seen it, I recommend just seeing it because I, I, I think it is really worth your time and kind of feels... I mean, I'll say this. I, I think it feels a little underrated in his filmography. I almost feel like people forget it's a Tony Scott movie, if that makes sense. Because yeah. yeah. I think because the stuff that comes right after it is so like bombastic, you know. Well, and, and, I mean, that, yeah. that that's what I was saying. Like that, I think most people, especially the general movie going audience, like these next movies are what they think of Tony Scott movies. Yeah. Or or I think people still are like, oh, he's the guy that did Top Gun. And like Beverly Hills Cop 2, the really sure. mainstream. Like, so I feel like there's these people think he did, you know, the really mainstream stuff in the 80s and um, maybe even Crimson Tide in there. And and then, of course, the stuff through most of the 2000s, I think, because he's just so, um, he's got this style. that go, It's so him, you know, it's so him. He's like perfected the Tony Scott style. Um, whatever you think of it, it's, it's him and it's very unique and, uh, but this is definitely enemy of state and this one, this weird kind of in between where it's like, they're pushing toward that, but they still have one foot kind of in the stuff he did before. Um, but he's definitely trying some stuff. Um, I'll bring it up more on the man on fire episode, but it's interesting because I was reading about there's in between, there's like a three-year gap between spy game and man on fire. And there he does some, um, BMW commercials. Cause BMW did this thing, uh, in the early 2000s where I guess they, I don't, they really went over the top and got all these um, very prominent directors to shoot like mini movies for BMW. Yeah. Um, and like Tony's one of them and um, John Woo 
and Wong Kar Wai and who else? Um, like big names, like big, big names. And uh, Tony Scott does a 10 minute movie with like James Brown um, that apparently really, he goes really crazy in the style. People think that's like the setup, kind of his his foot into the man on fire and post and after oh, that stuff. Um, and I'm blanking on the name right now because it's something like drive my car or it's like something really um, generic. Hang on one second. Um, oh, beat the devil. Tony Scott's beat the devil. Um, and I, yeah, it's very, it's like 10 minutes long. It, it's this thing where BMW apparently just threw money at all these directors and was like, hey, make us some cool like mini movies that were on like their website it's kind of it's kind of cool and kind of insane they were just like here take all this money and make these uh little movies guys um so yeah i mean that spy game is so fascinating i'm seeing flashes of tony scott to come but it's like it's not it's not quite all the way there yet you know what i mean <laughs> so sure. um yeah but i really i do like it i'm so glad we got to talk about it i will say the last thing i'll say uh if you probably know this anthony but the end of the movie of spy game it's dedicated to Elizabeth Jean Scott, who was the mother of Tony and Ridley Scott. So it's dedicated to his mom who died earlier in the year while they're making the movie. So um, if anyone was curious who Elizabeth Jean Scott was, that is Tony Scott's mom that he dedicated the movie to. So I thought that was nice. Um, so yeah, that's all the notes that I had. Um, but yeah, this was a ton of fun, Anthony. Thank you for uh, for doing this. I, uh, I'm glad I got to revisit uh, now one of my all-time favorite movies i can say uh i'm going to after we stop recording i'm putting this on my letterbox top four okay <laughs> well that's good i, I appreciate that i i yeah <laughs> i'm glad you got talking a movie that you love so much and i get you got to watch it again because sounds like it's been a little while so um yeah, and i you know i really i really hope people you know go back and give it a chance like if they didn't like it at first um for you know whatever reason maybe they did think it was too confusing go back give it another shot because it you know there's no denying that it's exciting as hell so yeah that's i i really think I, i'm speaking from experience here that i think the first time i was a little more like so-so on it um but once you go back after you've seen it once and you kind of grasp what's going on and the kind of plot pieces i think it's a lot easier to kind of just get into and not you kind of relax a little more with it. That makes sense. You're not trying to like follow along every second of like, hey, what's it, what are they doing now? What are they doing now? Um, it's more fun just kind of watch the second time and have a better idea of what's happening. That's that's how I felt about it. So other people should definitely, if you watched it once, especially, and you didn't really care for it, I would say give it a shot because I think I think you would enjoy it more. So Because um, it's the best movie of all time. Hello. <laughs> Anthony King, Spy Game, best movie of all time. Uh, and also, fuck the Padres. No. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, San Diego Padres. I have literally, I can't think of a major league sports team in any sport that I that I have less feelings for than the San Diego Padres. Yeah, it, it's really weird. Like, I, I don't actually hate the Padres. No, I but, you know, they're just, just funny to they're just like out like honest to God. It's like the Padres. Eh, I couldn't like I I'm with you. I can't think of a team that I am more uh ambivalent about like it, who the fuck cares it's the padres whatever and <laughs> in any sport amongst the major sports in america honest Seriously. to god I, yeah <laughs> um, amazing so yeah sorry i just thought it's so funny running joke now to be like fuck them it's like why they didn't do anything <laughs> they, they don't hurt anybody they barely exist um there i go okay i'm gonna i swear i'm gonna find the one padres fan someone who loves this podcast it's like i love the Padres. <laughs> I love the Padres and I fucking hate this podcast. Now. Yeah, there gets my first one star review. Uh, so my bad, my bad. Go go over and give not Matt give cult movies one star. That's, that's <laughs> oh, my 
Matt loves the Padres. No, oh, I was gonna say give give you five stars. Um, I thought you were gonna say just no, give us five stars. Uh, um, no, no, don't don't. <laughs> just just write me an angry email or a Twitter message if you love the Padres. <laughs> we were we were kidding, but uh, um, but yeah, and yourself, they, Matt. Oh, <laughs> like, please go on Twitter and just change your handle like Anthony fuck the Padres King or something. Like, uh, there, there are two hills I will die on. Spy Game is the greatest movie of all time, and the Padres are fucking assholes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're like the Switzerland of sports teams. They're just <laughs> they neutral. really are. They, yeah. yeah, they just they're just like we're just here. We're just here. Um, oh boy, this has been fun. Uh so well, anyway, I guess we should. We should wrap up, but um, well, this was this was a great time, Anthony. Thank you again. I will get, go ahead and plug. People can follow you and uh, cult movies and all that, all that good stuff. <laughs> uh, you can follow my podcast, Cult Movies Podcast, on Twitter and Instagram at Cult Movies Pod, and new shows every Sunday, uh, for the most part. And you can follow <laughs> me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox at AK Donnelly, A K D O N E L L Y. And then uh, you can read my writing at fthismovie.com. Fantastic. All good stuff. Everyone should be, uh, you know, reading, listening to all your stuff. So, um, yes, thank you. And uh, I guess for our stuff, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Maplet87. Uh, and you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast, all one word. Uh, and that's it for this time, guys. We will see you next time. Bye, everybody.